0: Did you hear about the, uh, the, the children's Sunday school teacher? They'd been going through the book of Jonah, and the Sunday school teacher asked her kids, now children, what have you learned by studying the book of Jonah? And This one kid raised his hand and said, always travel by air. I don't know if that's exactly the lesson of Jonah, but, you know, a child shall lead them, so maybe we'll learn. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Jonah. If you don't know right where that is, you can find the table of contents in the front. It's in the Old Testament. He's considered a minor prophet, not because he doesn't have anything to say, but a minor prophet is deemed that way because it's a smaller book. There are some major prophets, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, but then there are minor prophets like Jonah who show up on the scene and yet have a powerful message to us. We're in chapter 1, verse 11 through chapter 2, verse 10, and the consequences of running from God. You remember in these first two messages of this four-part series, we talked about he left the presence of the Lord Now that phrase, the presence of the Lord, is found 30 times in 27 verses in the Bible. But it's three of those 30 times are found in chapter 1 of Jonah. He's running from the presence of the Lord. He's running from God. He's rejecting God's word. He's resisting God's will. He's not fulfilling God's commands. And the one thing you can know about chapter 1 is... Nowhere in Chapter One is Jonah praying when i 'm not praying, I can justify talking to myself enough to not do what God tells me to do when i 'm not talking to God and God is not talking to me, then I can ultimately justify disobedience. I can ignore the word, I can ignore his call all of at this point in the story, he's run, he gets on a ship, the captain comes and says, you need to talk to your God, the sailors are talking to their God, uh, he gets thrown into the water here, they cast lots, because they figure somebody is the reason this storm has come, and they find out it's Jonah. Now, a quick thought here before we get to the storm. One of the greatest tragedies... Of backsliding in your faith is it will affect people around you in a negative way. One of the tragedies of walking away from God, of softening our commitment, of not doing what God tells us to do, of disobeying the word, of not being people of prayer, one of the tragedies of that is you don't do that in isolation. It affects your family, it affects your children, it affects the place where you work, it affects your neighborhood, your school, your friends. It will have impact that you may not even realize at the moment. Everybody in this story is in this storm because one person was running from God. One And God wasn't going to let him run. So let's let's look at the storm. The sailors are asking him, you know, what's your job? What do you do for a living, Jonah? and, And where do you come from? And Jonah answers, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. So he confesses that he is a follower of Jehovah. That he is a part of the chosen people of God, the Jews. But... They didn't know it until he told them. O.S. Hawkins says, if someone has been around us for a period of time and has to ask us if we are Christians, that is proof that we are outside the will of God. If somebody you go to school with, if somebody in your neighborhood, if somebody in the place you work or I am... If anybody has to ask you if you're a Christian, you're not walking in the will of God. Because it should be evident by your salt and light, by your light and your lifestyle, by your lips, by your actions and your reactions, that Christ has redeemed your wicked soul and saved you by grace through faith. That ought to be obvious. Jonah said, I fear the Lord. But he didn't fear him enough to obey him. I I mean, we would all say we fear the Lord, but do we fear him enough to do what he says? Do we respect God enough to do what he says? Now, if you've got a boss and he tells you to do something, you do it. Why? Because you respect him enough that you know he can fire you. But when it gets to God who saved us and will get us to heaven, we go, I don't think I want to do that. I've got my own opinions about that. I've got my own thoughts about how that ought to work. You see, Jonah could have said, well, I went to church on Sunday and worship, but I didn't leave with any intention of being a witness. One of the things that's crazy about this story is he's running from the command to witness to the people of Nineveh, but when given the opportunity in a storm with these pagan sailors He's giving them a witness. Why is it harder to give the people in Nineveh a witness than it was to give those pagan sailors a witness? The only reason he told them the truth is because his life was at stake. Let me ask you something. Would it take God making your life at stake for you to tell somebody the truth? Or do you just play around the edges of your faith? You talk about it when it's convenient. You talk about it secondhand you live off of somebody else's faith. You see, God sent this storm to get his attention. This is the law of sowing and and reaping. You get what you sow, more than you sow, and later than you sow. In everything we do, there is a law of sowing and reaping. You get what you sow, you get more than you sow, and you get later than you sow. Every farmer knows that, but it is a life principle. What I sow I reap if I sow unfaithfulness I'm going to reap unfaithfulness if I sow discord I'm going to reap discord if I sow unity and grace and gentleness and kindness then that's what I will reap God never lets us just go he pursues us Adam and Eve where are you he knew where they were they just needed to admit where they were Elijah, what are you doing here? God knew what he was doing there. He just needed Elijah to admit what he was doing there. Jonah is in a storm, and this storm is coming, and it's getting harder and harder and harder. Now, there are different kinds of storms. First of all, some storms come our way to test us. Some storms God allows to test us. Now, we, we can see that throughout the Bible. You see it with Job. You know, Satan comes and starts talking about things, and, and God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? For he is blameless, upright, and fearing God. That wasn't Job's mother talking. That was God talking. And as Ron Dunn used to say, if Satan comes to me, I would just assume God not brag on me to the devil brag on somebody else. He was blameless and upright in fearing God. But the test came to show that Job would not curse God and would not turn his back on God. God knew he could trust Job with the test. And he never told Job he was going through a test to prove the devil wrong. Never told him. I mean, if he had just told him at the beginning, say, hey, son, stick with it. Because when this is over, The devil's going to leave with his tail tucked between his legs and he's going to be gone. Just stick with it. No, some trials come to test us, to prune us, to mold us, to make us. And they come to prove to us that God gives us the power in the storm, to stand in the storm. The disciples forgot that. After the miracles they had seen, they got in a storm, and they start complaining to Jesus, who's asleep. He's not worried about the storm. By the way, the Creator never worries about a storm. He's not worried about it. And they go to wake Him up. Don't you care that we are perishing? You ever go to Jesus and complain as if He doesn't know what's going on in your life? When a storm comes, you ought to ask yourself, what is God trying to teach me here? Where is he trying to mold me? Where is he pruning me? What's he trying to say to me? But then there are storms that come because we've disobeyed God. And Satan can use those to destroy our testimony. There are storms that come because we disobey God. You know why this ship was in a storm? Because Jonah disobeyed God. Everybody else is suffering because Jonah has disobeyed God. Jonah knows why the storm is there. Jonah knows what the problem is. Jonah does not volunteer that, hey, I'm the problem. The captain comes down and says, talk to your God. I don't need to. I can tell you right now, I'm, the storm is here because of me. I'm running from God. The, soldiers are, the, the sailors are praying to their God. He doesn't say, you don't need to worry. I'm, you're in this mess because of me. Hey, can I tell you something? There'd be revival in some families if some dads would say, you're in this mess because of me. If we just get God honest about why we are in the shape we are in and own it in front of our kids and say, we're in this mess because of me. Jonah's in a storm. And finally he says, just throw me overboard. Now here's how resistant Jonah is to the will of God. He would rather drown and die than go share the gospel with the people in Nineveh. Just throw me overboard. I'd rather just die than obey God. The text tells us the crew was praying, "O oh Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us, For you, O oh Lord, have done as you have pleased. These are, these are pagans talking. You, you've done as you've pleased. You've sent this storm, but don't take it out on us. So kind of read between the lines with these sailors. Here's what they're saying. Lord, you sent this storm because of this man. Lord, this man told us to throw him overboard. Lord, we want to be crystal clear that we are doing what this man told us to do. Don't take it out on us anymore. Get us off the hook. The text tells us that they were afraid of the storm. Now it tells us that they're afraid of the Lord, that they feared the Lord, but they needed something that Jonah needed. They needed a calm sea, and they needed dry land. And until Jonah was thrown out of that boat, they weren't going to get either one. And the minute they throw Jonah into the sea, the storm stops for them. One... One of my favorite cartoons, and I hate they don 't do it anymore. I used to even buy the calendar that had these cartoons on it, was the far side cartoons with Gary Larson. you know he did the far far side cartoons you know one of them had a deer with a with a target on it, and the other deer turns to the deer and says, "Bummer of a birthmark uh, <laughs> but one of my favorite ones is that the Gary Larson has this bearded man soaking wet, his clothes are ripped, he's got seaweed all over him, and his wife opens the door, and she looks at this stinking mess of a man with disgust, and she says, for crying out loud, Jonah, where have you been for the last three days? You smell like a fish, and don't expect me to swallow one of your stories, (laughs) just because you needed to think about it. Let's look at the prayer. Now, Jonah was in the wrong place in three areas. First of all, he was in the wrong place physically. He was running. He was running from God. He was running from a call. He was on a boat. He's in a sea, and now he's in a fish. He's in the wrong place mentally. He wasn't thinking right. He wasn't thinking like a prophet ought to think. He was in the wrong place spiritually, chapter 2 and verse 4. I have been expelled from your sight. Isn't that exactly what he wanted? He wanted to get out of sight and out of mind with God. So pick up in chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me, and I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Or you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. In other words, if I get out of this, I'm going to go back to church. I cannot tell you how many people have said that to me in 45 years of ministry. If God will heal me, If God will bring my kid home, if God will do this, if God will do that, I'm telling you, I'm coming back to church and it lasts about one week. Don't make promises you don't intend to keep because God knows you're lying. So, water encompassed me to the point of death, the great deep engulfed me, weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, the earth and its bars it was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, finally, and into your holy temple. These who Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, And it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Let me give you a little note there. Even a fish can't stand a bad preacher. (laughs) I'm just saying. We become obsessed with the fish and we forget about what's going on in Jonah's heart. God has got his attention. Verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord appointed. You see it here with the fish. You see it in Jonah 4 when he appointed the, that the plant would grow. It, it took a storm, but God appointed the storm. God appointed the fish. God appointed the plant. All to remind Jonah, you need to stay in touch with me. The sailors prayed in chapter 1 and verse 14. They cried out to the Lord. But in chapter 8 and, and 10 of the verses, 8 of the 10 verses in chapter 2 are a prayer. Jonah's finally praying. If (laughs) I was in the belly of a fish, I'd probably pray too. Why do we have to get in the belly of a fish before we pray? Why do we have to get a bad report from a doctor before we pray? Why do our kids have to go to the pig pen before we pray? Why do we get served divorce papers and then we start praying? Why is it we always wait? I'll tell you why. Because we think we know better, we think we know better than God, and we think we can fix it on our own, and that is summed up in one word, pride. That's pride. You know why we don't pray? pride. We don't pray because of pride. Because we think we can do it. One of the fascinating things about this prayer of Jonah is he does not have an original thought. Not one original thought here. In fact, almost everything he prays, he's paraphrasing something out of the Psalms. You see, prayer is rarely our first choice. God keeps closing all other doors until we finally stumble into the prayer room. Now I'm going to repeat that. God keeps closing all other doors until we finally stumble into the prayer room. God wants us to be people of prayer. Jacob's prayer closet, his war room, was in the belly of a fish. And he didn't go there because he saw a movie. He got serious there because he realized he was going to die if he didn't start talking to God. And i tell you something, folks, you're dying spiritually if you're not talking to God now. You're withering up spiritually. You're not healthy spiritually if you're not talking to God now. If prayer is an afterthought, if prayer is a last resort, He didn't pray when he ran from God. He didn't pray on the ship. He didn't pray when the captain told him to talk to his gods. He didn't pray on the deck with the soldiers. But when he gets in the belly of the fish, I called out of my distress to the Lord. I cried for help. And he mentions two names of God, Jehovah and Elohim. Jehovah, the eternal self-existent one, and Elohim, the Almighty. You are the only one I can cry to that will hear and that can change this situation. In my distress means he was in a bind. He was restricted. He was cramped. He was pressed in. He's expelled from your sight. There's despair. This desperation and despair finally leads him to cry out to God. Tim Keller says it is only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. Warren Wiersbe says, like too many people today, Jonah was, saw the will of God as something to turn to in an emergency, not something to live by every day of one's life. Can I tell you something? Some people never learn. Some people never learn. I mean, they, you know, I mean, I learned the first time I put my hand on a hot burner on a stove when I was a kid, my mother said, don't touch that, it's hot. And my five-year-old self said, I'll touch whatever I want to touch. And I touched it, and I started crying. And I said, Mom, she said, don't come to me. And she let me cry for a while. And then she sat me down. Before she ever did anything, before she ever put any lotion or anything on, she said, You ever going to touch a stove again? No, ma'am. You sure? Yes, ma'am. I'm not going to touch a stove. No, you'll touch it again because you're stubborn and hard headed. That's just the way you are. No, I'm not. Say, Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> Aren't we all. God says, don't do this. And we do it anyway. When God says, don't do something, all he's doing is saying, if you do that, it's going to hurt you somewhere. When God says, do something, it's because he wants to bless you. But it's like when God says, don't do something, it's, we just want to do it. Because we want to prove we are the captain of our own ship. Can I tell you something, buddy? Your boat is sinking until you admit that the will of God is the only will that matters, you're just going to keep sinking. You're going to get on one bad boat after the next and one storm after the next because God is pursuing you to make you like Jesus. He wants you to be like Jesus. Now, I want to ask you to hold your place in Jonah and turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is the story of the Jewish people. They... Learn and then they forget. They learn and then they forget. They never remember what they were supposed to remember. And generation after generation, they fail to remember God and His way. So I'm just going to pop a few verses out of Psalm 107 and let you see something. Then I want you to see a phrase that repeats over and over. Psalm 107 and verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed. From the hand of the adversary, got us out of a storm. Verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in the desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Here's the phrase, verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by the straight way to go to inhabited city. Go to verse 13. They're in trouble again. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Verse 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses and he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men, and were at their wits end, then they cried out to the Lord In their trouble, and He brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so He guided them to their desired haven. Four times in these verses that I've pulled out, then they cried out to the Lord. I want to ask you a question. What does it take to get you to then what does it take to get you to then to crying out to the lord We've got one more idea. I've got one more thing. I've got one more thought. I've got this thing I can do. I can call this person. I can pull in a favor over here. I can do this. I can do that. And we're always trying to do everything except get to then I cried out to the Lord. When the storm comes, the moment is a then moment. And the storm might not come if you had cried out to the Lord before the storm came. Because God is using a storm to try to teach you and to mold you and to make you and to prune you. And each one of these sections says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. But you know what they did? They forgot his loving kindness. They forgot his loving kindness. Oh, listen, listen. How many times has God shown loving kindness to us And we sit in a circle with five or six people and say, let's just talk about how God's been blessing and what God's been doing. And You know, I really don't have anything. How about you? You know what? When you get over your salvation and you don't walk in the joy and the power and the grace and the mercy of your salvation, you have forgotten his loving kindness. You need to make another trip to the cross, not for salvation but for repentance of taking for granted blood that was spilled so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. We forget his loving kindness. Oh, one more verse in, in 107, verse 43. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. I would encourage you to remember and not forget the loving kindness of the Lord. Because when you forget the loving kindness of the Lord, then you start to live on your terms and you start to do things your way and you start to think it's about you and it's about you being happy and you getting your way and the consequences of that are typically not good. So let's look at the power of prayer and I want to give you four principles. These are not mine. These come from James Montgomery Boyce uh, in his commentary on Jonah Four principles that he gave as the keys to true praying. First of all, honesty. Honesty. Jonah is honest. Wasn't making any more excuses. Verse 7. While I was fainting away, he got to the end of his rope. Can I tell you, until you get honest, you're not praying. You're just talking to yourself. Lord, I'm here to talk to you and I love you so much. Well, if you loved him, you'd have talked to him more. Lord, I'm here, and, you know, I've done something. you know, we start making excuses, and we start going over the same old thing, and we, we get our little canned prayers, and as Wiersbe says, if we get, ever get over our little canned prayer, we would learn to start praying. Basically, most of us learn a prayer, and we pray it all the time. We're like a child, you know, bless the food. Lord, I pray for those for whom it is my duty to pray. And God's over there saying, you don't have a list? You don't know who it's your duty to pray for? i tell you who your duty to pray for is, it's every person you ever told them you were praying for them when they asked you to pray for them. That's your duty to pray. Can you name them? Have you prayed? Now, no show of hands, because we don't have all day. But how many of us have come to church and somebody has said to us, Listen, i got, I got this a bad week. I, I really need you to pray for I'm going to be praying for you, brother. I'm going to be praying for you, sister. And you didn't think about it again until you saw him the next Sunday. And we just lied in church. <laughs> That's why I encourage people when somebody says, would you pray for me? Stop right there and do it. You want to have a praying church when somebody asks you to pray? Stop right there and pray. Now, you don't have... To pray so long that the food gets cold three days from now. You have to pray. Just pray about what they ask you to pray for. Just pray for them. Pray for that moment. Well, if I don't say the right words, take a guess. Just pray. Honesty. Second word he uses, and I wouldn't use this word, is penance. I would use the word confession and repentance, but he uses the word penance. Boyce says. He acknowledged that everything that happened to him, while caused by God, was nevertheless his own fault. This is the meaning of verse 8. He also didn't ask God for anything. He was genuinely repentant. Confess, repent. Where I fall short, I need to confess and repent. You know, the hardest words in the English language are these. I am wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. And men, it is hard for those to come out. Well, Lord, you know. Hey, until we can say it the way God says it, until we know that we are repentant, we're not going to get any further. Honesty, repentance, thanksgiving. He was thankful that God had turned from rebellion and and he was caused to pray. He was thankful, although he was still in the fish. Although he was still in the fish. Let me give you a little thought here. This is free. Jonah was thankful because he's still in the fish. There is a principle in prayer. It's an unspoken principle. There's no time chart on it. But there is a principle in prayer when you stop asking and you start thanking. Because you've communicated with the Lord enough that God says to you, I don't need any vain repetitions. I don't need you to ask me anymore. The answer is on the way trust me and praise me that I have heard and I have seen and I know and I am answering. Might not answer the way you want him to answer, but he's answering. That's when you start praising him. That's when you start thanking him. You say, well, man, I tell you what, if I get out of this fish, I'm going to praise God. He's thanking God before he gets out of the fish. You know, if I ever get out of this hospital bed, I'm going to praise God. He's thanking God before he gets out of the hospital bed. If I ever get this, if I ever get my finances straightened out, if I ever get blah, 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 At some point, you got to talk to God enough where, God, where you know God well enough to know that your father, if you being evil, give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask? You got to see God not as a reluctant dictator who's thumping you on the back of the head all the time, but as a loving father who loves his children and hates the fact that storms even have to exist. And then sacrifices and vows, verse 9. No more superficial, no more shallow. When he got out of the fish, he went to Nineveh. He went and did what God told him to do. Now, it's brief. You know, he's going to get mad. All these people are going to get saved next week in Nineveh, by the way. All these people are going to get saved. He's going to be mad. And I want God to judge them. I can't believe they gave their hearts to God. That just ticks me off. Now I'm going to have to go to church with them. Man. So, sacrifices and vows. Lord, I'll do what you tell me to do. Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll act like you want me to act. Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. So, what have you learned today? And what are you going to do about it? Are you running from God's will today as a believer? Are you, is there an area of your life where you're saying, that's off limits, God, you don't talk to me about that. Are you running from God and He's been calling you to salvation are you running from God because you've been saved but you've never been baptized? You've never followed him in obedience as a witness in baptism? Are you running from that neighbor that you just have a hard time with? we got a new neighbor that's moving into our neighborhood a block away. And they're doing some work on a house. And, they, you know, and I went by yesterday and there's a Turner Furniture truck there and they're doing some concrete work and some other things. So... I told Terry yesterday, I said, well, we're going to need to make some cookies or some brownies and we need to go meet our new neighbors. Now, they're a block away. See I can drive by there and not think about them. I can drive by there and, that, not my problem, they're a block away. I got enough with the people around me, I just need to minister to the people that are around me. Lord, who is my neighbor? Uh, Michael? It's that family? it has been moving some concrete and painting the shutters and had a Turner Furniture truck in front of their house yesterday. Lord, could you be more specific? Is this a sign? Am I supposed to do something here? No. Let's do what God says and enjoy watching God work. Let's pray together. The old hymn says, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. I've decided to follow Jesus. Storms are a part of life, but I tell you, some of our storms are our own fault because we just don't follow Jesus like we should. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for intention. Have you reached the then in your problem, in your crisis, in your pain, in your hurt? Have you reached the then yet where you cry out to Lord in your distress and he hears you? These altars are open. I'm just gonna ask them to play softly in the background. I've decided to follow Jesus. These altars are open. If you've not trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then there are gonna be some men at the end of the aisles, and they're gonna be glad to receive you and to help you in any way possible to know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. But I, I know this, it's not my first rodeo, and it's not my first church, and not my first sermon. I know this, there are people in this room that if you're honest, you're running from God. There's an area in your life. There's a call. There's something in your life where you're running from God. And I would encourage you to get up from where you are right now and run toward the altar. And quit running from God because running from God is not getting you to where you need to be. It's not getting you to where you want to go. And we're not going to stand up. This, you know, it's going, to, it's going to take a little effort now. Swallow your pride and say, Lord, I, I need to come and I need to be honest and I need to repent and say that I've been running from you in an area of my life and a call that you have on my life. Some area you want me to obey in. I, I've been disobedient. So I'm just going to ask you to get up right now. No, don't wait. We're not going to stand. We're not going to sing. I'm just asking you to get up from where you are, work your way out of the aisle. And I'm finding it very hard to believe that 1,400 people in this room, all of us are right in step with where God wants us to be. Folks, we can't see a move of God until we get honest. In the first place, we have to get honest with ourselves. We have to get honest with ourselves. As long as we come to church with facades and masks and pretend and everything's okay, then God can never remove the storm because the storm is there to teach us something about ourselves. It's there to teach us something about the Lord. It's there to teach us something about our resistant, rebellious, prideful hearts. It's there to remind us that the best path is the path that God puts us on. It's there to remind us that the best place to be is in the will of God, obeying God walking with Him. That's what it's there for. Just another moment and I'm going to pray for these who are at the altar. sometimes your will looks frightening to us but you have a view that we do not have you have an understanding that we sometimes can't comprehend that we have to embrace by faith and I don't know what it is in any life that is here at this altar today but I know this you can meet us at the point of our need when we cry out to you you hear us You deliver us, you remind us of your grace and your goodness and your sufficiency. You remind us that the safest place to be, even in a storm, is in the middle of your will. So God, I pray for every bowed knee and I pray that you would move in these lives today, that we would remember and not forget that you are good and a kind God, that you have compassion on the least and the lost, that you know the resistance of our heart, and you keep prodding and pushing and pruning so that you can make us more and more and more like Jesus. Lord, may we decide today to follow Jesus, every day to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. In Jesus' name.